Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on February 5th, 2023, on the basis of Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Grace and mercy and peace are yours from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who made you what you are. Amen. If you were a, a collector that happened to buy uh, a, a toy when it, it came out, when it was in its original uh, packaging, you'd probably be thanking yourself at this point. I, I was doing a little Googling and, and uh, seeing you know, what, what some of those antique toys are, are worth. Um, if, if you happen to, to buy a, a Barbie doll from ni- the 1959 collection, that could be worth as much as $23,000 today to the right to the right buyer. But, but there's even crazier ones than that. Uh, if you were a Hot Wheels collector and you, ha- you kept the 1969 Volkswagen Beach Bomb version of the Hot Wheels, uh, that to the right person could be worth as much as $125,000 for just that little car. Now, I, I'm, I'm assuming that we are assuming a few things by saying that, right? You, you first have to have a person that is willing to pay that for that, and you're probably assuming that those two things, the, the Barbie doll and the Hot Wheels, were in pristine condition, right? Which means they, they probably still have to be in the original packaging. They probably had to be kept in a place where light wouldn't fade the colors and, and where it was kept at a constant temperature so that it would be in pristine uh, condition. Now, if that was the case, your bank account would certainly be thanking you uh, for, for keeping that Barbie doll in that condition or that Hot Wheels car in that, that condition. But isn't there a certain tragedy in a toy not being played with? <laughs> After all, the, the, the person who created that toy, their purpose for creating it was not that it would stay in its packaging, collect dust for 50 years, and then be sold for an obscene amount of money. They, they created that toy and manufactured that toy to bring enjoyment to its owner, to bring happiness to its owner. That, that was the purpose behind those, those toys. I think you can kind of take a, a kind of a deep principle from something as silly as just toys. What a toy is finds its fulfillment when a toy does what it was meant to do. Can I say that one more time? It's kind of a tongue twister a bit. What a toy is finds its fulfillment when a toy does what it's meant to do. So, so hold that thought for a second. As I was sitting back and, and thinking, okay, how, where do you start a sermon like this? You, you heard the reading from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus talks about a lot of stuff in there. And that's really the case with all of Scripture. It's probably one of the hardest parts is uh, when you're sitting down trying to figure out how to, to start a sermon. Where do you start? There's no way we could dissect all of the, the parts of this today. Uh, but I, I figured for today, anyways, it's probably a good place to start with Jesus. So that's where we're going to start today. Uh, so I want you to consider what we just talked about. What a toy is finds its fulfillment when a toy does what it's meant to do. Can you apply that same logic to Jesus? Now, because I'm asking you that question, you know the answer is yes. So follow me here a bit. Jesus is the God of all eternity. Creator, not creation. He is just as much God as God the Father, just as much God as God the Spirit. 
and he has all the characteristics of God. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. He is justice and he is love. That's who Jesus is. And, and the Father, in this great act of love, sent his son, Jesus, to earth to share humanity with us. And when he sent him, Jesus had an expressed purpose for being here. His purpose was to, to come and save the lost, to give his life as a ransom for many, to be that sacrificial lamb that was put on the cross, uh, whose blood would, would pay for the sins of all people, who would save us from sin, death, and and hell. That was Jesus' purpose, and he was pretty clear on that. That's pretty obvious throughout his, his ministry. He was clear on what he came here to do, and he was clear on what it would take to accomplish that. And you can kind of see that in the second half of our reading for today. He, he's, he's talking to these, these, these crowds of people, but mostly his disciples here too, and he says, uh, don't think I have come to, to abolish the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, that's kind of a, a way to summarize the whole Old Testament, right? The law and the prophets. Don't think I have come to, to burn those down completely. Don't think that, that because Jesus has come, everything before Jesus was worthless. That's not the way it is, Jesus says. I haven't come to abolish the law. I haven't come to abolish the Old Testament or the prophets. I've come to be the fulfillment of it, to, to bring it to completion. And verse 20 really shows us why that needed to happen. Uh, if, if you take a look at verse 20, Jesus is, is explaining to the people there, if you want to get to heaven on the basis of your own behavior, on the basis of your own works, well, then your righteousness has to surpass that of the, the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, if you were a, a person listening in that day, you'd know exactly what he meant. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were the, the, the ethical standard of the day, the moral standard of the day. They were the, the idyllic uh, person for, for this is whose behavior you want to emulate. Parents told their kids that. Be like the Pharisees. Be like the scribes someday. They keep the law of God. But, but Jesus says, if you want to get to heaven on the basis of your own righteousness, well, then your righteousness has to surpass, not, even, not just by a little bit, but by far the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. And people in that day also knew what that meant. What Jesus is saying is, you're you need to be perfect. The righteousness that gets you to heaven is perfection. Uh, that's, that's what it requires, and that's impossible for sinful humans, right? So, God the Father, in his love, sent his Son, who is God from all eternity, creator, not creation, uh, all-powerful, all-knowing, justice and love. He sent his Son to, to take on flesh, to, to do the impossible for us. Now here's the connection. Who Jesus is finds fulfillment when Jesus comes or when Jesus does what he was sent to do. I, I got myself twisted up there for a second. Who Jesus is finds fulfillment when Jesus does what he was sent to do. And certainly that means when he, he, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Certainly that means that he's the sacrificial lamb on the cross. What he also came to do was to keep the law perfectly for us. What he, what he also came to do was to be our righteousness because we couldn't be righteous. Because if we ended the whole Bible with verse 20 and we said, amen, gospel of the Lord, we'd all be like, what, what, what? We can't get to heaven by the basis of our own works. We can't get to heaven by our own righteousness. How are we going to get to heaven? 
It's Jesus' righteousness that was exchanged to us when, when he died on the cross for our sins. Because he lived a perfect life, he looks at you and he says, you are perfect. You are perfect. That's the gospel that we hear each week that reminds us who Jesus is and what he did. We call him Savior because that's who he is and what he did. You can tell who someone is by what they do. And you can say, say that for Jesus. And you can also say that for us. That same logic applies for us. You can tell who someone is by what they do. When I was uh, uh, studying to be a pastor in the seminary, I did a lot of guest preaching. Um, so I went around to a bunch of different churches. And then uh, sometimes when I wasn't guest preaching, I'd go back to my parents' church, which was about an hour away from the seminary at that time. Um, and, and I had a lot of different conversations at, at all these different churches. And he heard a lot of different things. A lot of times it was encouragement, and that was very appreciated at, at that point. Um, but then there was also a bunch of other things that people would tell you about what, you know, what it means to be a pastor, what it's going to be like when you are a pastor. And one of the ones I heard often, and maybe you've heard this too, maybe you've even said it too to somebody, and it's okay if you have. Uh, they would say, you know, being a pastor means you live in a glass house, right? Have you heard that one before? Kind of a strange statement, right? But here's, what, here's the gist of what that means. To some degree, you live your life in the public eye. People are going to be paying attention to, to what you say and what you do and how you raise your kids and the decisions you make. They're going to be paying attention to that stuff. And how they perceive you, how they perceive your actions, how they perceive your words is going to have a, a somewhat direct correlation to how they perceive the church and how they perceive God himself, Jesus, their Savior. Especially to an outsider, right? If, if they observe a pastor doing this, that, or the other thing, they're going to say, well, is that what your Savior is all about? Now, I thought about that a bit every time I heard it. And, and it's one of those cliches where, you know, you hear it enough, but there's some truth behind that cliche, too. And I understand it. I understand that, that a pastor lives in a glass house, another called worker would live in a glass house, a teacher, a staff minister... But as I thought about that a little bit, that's not really exclusive to a pastor or a teacher. You guys live in a glass house too. Every Christian lives in a glass house. Everybody is observing what you say and what you do and how they perceive your actions reflects not only on you, but it also reflects on your Savior. So, when your words and your actions don't align with who you say you're, you are, a Christ follower, what are we to make of that? When your words and actions belong more to the, the decaying, dying world than they do to your Savior, well, how could we really say that we're the salt of the earth? Or if, if our actions and, and our words, if they belong more to the darkness than to the light, then how can it be true that we are the, the light of the world if there is no discernible difference between your life and the life of an unbeliever, that ought to be a little convicting. And a lot of times that doesn't all happen at once, right? There's many contributing factors to those, those kinds of things. Maybe you just got tired. You got tired of being different from everybody else. You got tired of standing out. You got tired of the little jabs, the little comments that you'd get from your unbelieving friends here and there. Or uh, maybe you just kind of became afraid after a little while. 
you had received a negative reaction when you told people you were a Christian, so you became afraid to, to let, them, let people know that. You kind of kept that part of yourself hidden inside for fear of, of persecution or something like that. Or maybe somewhere along the way, you started to become a little ashamed and embarrassed about the Word of God because it seemed to be an inconvenience to others, and you didn't want to be an inconvenience to others. And so somewhere along the way, for many and varied reasons, it became easier to just join the rotting world than to be the salt that preserves it. Somewhere along the way, it became easier to just hide the fact that you're a Christian than deal with the, the possible persecution or criticism that would come from saying that you are. But here's the problem with that. Who someone is finds fulfillment when they do what they were meant to do. So if a Christian stops acting like a Christian, are they really a Christian anymore? If a Christian decides that it's, it's easier to hide the light, isn't it safe to think that at some point that light will be extinguished? If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You think I'd know better. It's a little levity for you there. Last week, we were talking about the Beatitudes. And we, the Beatitudes are just kind of a fancy way to say the blessings, right? And so Jesus lists all of these blessings and he connects them to a, a situation in life or a characteristic. And we, we said those were kind of backwards in some ways. They were a little upside down because uh, it didn't really seem like those who mourn should be, are, are, are actually blessed. It didn't seem like those who are meek are, are actually blessed. But, but throughout the course of that sermon, we, we determined that because of what Jesus did for us, because we have heaven waiting for us, we can say, without a doubt, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we are blessed. But at the same time, we said, uh, Jesus' comfort for you is more than just that. It's more than just life stinks, wait for heaven, right? We said there is a right here and right now to the gospel. Well, this is a continuation from last week here, too. So there is a right here and right now to the gospel, and there is a right here and a right now to the purpose that God has created you to carry out. He has given you an incredible purpose in life. You are salt. You are light. You are salt to preserve the world. You are light to, pre to, to shine light in a dark world. And so you're going to stand out. You're going to be different, and it's meant to be that way. Because if it weren't for Christians being salt to preserve the, the world, well, well, then the world would be a putrid stench in the nostrils of God. <laughs> if it weren't for Christians, uh, this world would be pitch black darkness filled with sin and evil. But because God has planted the gospel in your heart through the waters of baptism and through his word, because he has made you a temple of the Holy Spirit, he has made you salt and light. A preservative for the world and a light for the world. He has made you what you are. And he has told you that that is what you are. But if you're still like me, you're sitting there and you're thinking about all the times that you, you haven't been light and you haven't been salt in the world. And, and you're half thinking, you're half feeling guilty, right? And you're, you're also half resolving in your head, how am I going to go out and, and be uh, better at being salt? Be, how am I going to be saltier? How am I going to be a brighter uh, in my life. But Jesus has specific words for that because he doesn't want you walking away with, with guilt. He's not living in the law. He, he hasn't come to abolish the law, but he came to, to fulfill it, right? His words for you are, are very simple and ones we've already said a few times today. 
You are salt. You are light. You know, we, we kind of said the same thing last week. This isn't a potentiality. Like, someday you're going to become salt. Someday you're going to become light. If you really try hard, if you aspire, you're going to become salt and light. No, he says, that is what you are. That's what I have made you to be. Through baptism, through, through the working of the word, the Holy Spirit has planted faith in your heart. He's given you the gospel. And you are those things now. It's not something that you're waiting to become, but it's what you are right here and right now. It's your identity in Christ. And he, he, he goes on, um, when, when he talked about in, in 1 Peter there, you aren't just salt and light, but, but Jesus wants you to know that, that you are chosen, you are royal, you are holy, you are God's own possession. That is what you are. And so Jesus' encouragement to you is be what he has made you to be. You are. So be. You are salt, so be salt. You are light, so be light. You are holy. You are royal. You are all those things. And God has made you such. So let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Amen. Hi there. Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's always great to dig into God's word together and to grow in our faith. If you felt like you enjoyed this podcast and and you have grown your faith through it, could you do us a favor? Could you hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this and and maybe even consider uh, sharing it with someone else? We we want more people to, to hear God's saving message from his word and to continue to grow in their faith as well. We hope you'll join us again next week as we we dig into God's word further. God bless your week.